the Good Christophian Talks podcast. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. Thank you so much for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help each one of us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post at the start of each week for you to listen with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to hear. And now, let's hear more about this week's talk. For our episode this week, we are listening to an exhortation done by our brother Matt Drywood on the topic of Numbers chapter 6, the Nazarite Law. Brother Matt takes a really great look at the symbology contained in the Law of the Nazarite, uh, something that I personally did an exhortation on, and I also heard an excellent class also by Roger Lewis on the same topic. Brother Matt breaks down the Law of the Nazarite and how it applies and compares to the laws that were applied to the high priest, and how through the law of the Nazarite, we can become high priests ourselves, and also how we can have a relationship that we choose to have with God and setting ourselves separately. It is a great parable for our life and the truth, how that each of us has chosen to separate ourselves and to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Brother Matt did an excellent job with his exhortation. We were re- both of us really enjoyed it. We're really excited to share it with you. So without further ado, turn it over to Brother Matt Drywood for his exhortation titled The Nazarite Law. This morning we thought we'd look at Numbers chapter 6. We'll be doing a little bit of uh, Luke 17 in, in the, the afternoon session, looking at the Israeli-Palestinians. Um, but we'd just like to concentrate on number six for our exhortation words this morning. Just as a, an opening verse from Jeremiah 17 and 5, we're told, Cursed be the man that trusteth in, in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. There's a tragic sequence of events we see in that verse just read. The man who makes flesh his arm, his strength, is brought to the condition where his heart departs from God. And he is separated from God when this happens. Now the opposite condition, of course, is one who who is not separated in this same way. Someone who is separated to God or for God. And that's exactly what we're going to see this morning in our chapter, in in Numbers chapter 6. There's 24 occurrences of this word separate we'll see through here. And if you want to, it's up to you if you want to highlight or just write this down now and you can maybe mark this later. I find it's very helpful to mark words that come out more than once in the chapter other than the word to and the, obviously significant words we're talking about. But this is the chapter that deals with the law of the Nazarite. And I'm sure we've heard discussions and and talks on the law of the Nazarite before. And it's always great to refresh our memories as we see what this chapter really has to do with. It's separation to God. And maybe our minds are thinking about uh, our baptisms, perhaps, and, and making that move to separate to God, reversing that process of putting our trust in the flesh, into the arm of man, but leaving it where it belongs with God. In Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8, go further where it says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a plant, a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river. 
and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. That is a wonderful situation that we want to be in. The trust and, and leaning upon our God and that we would grow from that and not wither. And as we come to Numbers chapter 6, when we think of Nazarites, perhaps our mind starts jumping to various characters in the Bible called Nazarites. We might think of Samson, for instance, who was a Nazarite from before he was born. It was declared he would be a Nazarite. In him, we see the law about a Nazarite being required, in his case, to grow his hair. Since Samson is known for the, the, those beautiful long locks of hair that Delilah ended up cutting off, and, and he became weak from that. Interesting. We might even think of another Nazarite, John the Baptist, who was a Nazarite again from before his birth, we're told. In John's case, we see this law about abstaining from wine and strong drink. So these are just little character markers from the Nazarite that we have looked at in our reading this morning in, in uh, chapter 6 as we've read that together. We have a general idea, I'm sure, of what a Nazarite is and what it entails. Not to drink strong wine. Letting the hair grow long. What, are, what do all these things mean? What did they mean for Samson and John the Baptist, for instance? And what does it mean for us? If we dig further into this chapter, we find that not only is Nazarite ship a more commonly found state in the Bible, but that all of us, all believers, are called to be Nazarites. So that's what we want to look at briefly this morning is what is the role of a high priest? And we're going to see the analogy between the high priest and a Nazarite. We want to consider the laws of the Nazarite and why they came into being and, and what they represent. And then we want to look at the scriptures for examples and find out how we can become Nazarites ourselves and carry on with that emphasis. Although number six is the first time that we'll read about this law of the Nazarite, the spirit of Nazariteship has already been around, scripturally speaking, from before that point. If we just consider for a moment Exodus chapter 28, if you just turn in your Bibles to Exodus 28, verses 36 and 37, we're going to see an important aspect about the high priest of Israel and that he was given a very particular command of the clothes he was to wear. And the article of clothing we want to be concerned with is, is this mitre, this mitre on the head. It was that turban on the high priest. And it was attached, had attached to it a gold plate. Verses 36 and 37 of Exodus 28. Thou shalt make a plate of pure gold, engrave upon it like the likeness, or sorry, like the engravings of a signet. Holiness or separateness to the Lord. And thou shalt put on it a blue lace that it may be upon the mitre. Upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. And so we have this high priest with a very significant article of clothing on his head. Very important locations of where things are told in the Bible as well. This is specifically on his head. With this gold plate focused across the forehead for all to see. And of course we read on that the holiness to the Lord. Separateness, as that word indicates. And so, the high priest was being reminded always to be separate to God. And his example was for others to see. It was placarded right across his forehead for all to see. He was separated from the rest of Israel, as his role as high priest was, 
for a particular purpose of glorification of God. And so in Numbers 6 and 5, it says about the Nazarite that he shall separate himself to the Lord. So there's that sense of holiness again to the Lord. There's a comparison here we have with the high priest for some reason. The scriptures are, are, are bringing out allusions to the high priest, but talking about a Nazarite, which is totally a different occupation, if you will. So we, but we do have a similarity that we like to just bring out here. Now, if we look at verses 5 to 11 of number 6, there's eight references to this head, to the head, something to do with head, eight times. Nazariteship is concerned with our head and our thought process in going forward and being separate. It's the advancement of our thinking from a fleshly plane to a spiritual plane, elevating our thoughts. And this is very difficult. It's not natural for us to do that. We are not born with the ability to do that of our own accord. We cannot lift our heads above our bodies in our, our, our thinking unless we have the introduced, introduction of God's Word in our lives that causes that to happen. So this was very similar to this this high priest mitre on the head. The Nazarite had the hair that was the same representation. In Numbers 6 and 5, all the days of the vow of his separation shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separateth himself to the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. And so we have this hair of a Nazarite having something to do with the separation from the world and this rededication to the things of God. Now look at verses 3 and 4 in number 6. We have a second law now of the Nazarite having to do with this abstaining from drinking wine and, and the spiritual implications from that. And we want to see why this was introduced. Why do we have to abstain from wine in a sense? What was it telling us here in, in number 6 verses 3 and 4? He shall separate himself from the wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. Why is the question. And it comes back to us from Leviticus chapter 10. We're going to see that a lot of the things that were implemented in, in the Nazarite law came because something happened in the life of Israel that prompted this, this change. In Leviticus 10, verses 1 and 2, it was during one of the greatest moments on record with the priesthood, the consecration of Aaron and his sons, where we see this great tragedy unfold. You remember the account with Nadab and Abihu, we're told in verses 1 and 2 of Leviticus 10, sons of Aaron, they took either of them his center and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And so it's later on in that chapter that we learn that Nadab and Abihu were acting out of a clouded thinking in their, in their, their promptings and what they did. They were, they were, they were intoxicated and, and clouded by alcohol. And we read in verses 8 to 10 of Leviticus 10, that prohibition of the priests from alcohol. 
It was carried forward to the law of the Nazarite. I'll just read verses 8 and 10 of Leviticus 10. It says, The Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Why? That ye may make a difference between holy and unholy, between unclean and clean. See, that distinction wasn't made before. They broke the they broke the rules as it was, as it were. And they went forward and they did something that they were instructed not to do. And this carried forward now to the law of the Nazarite. And so that priesthood, under that priesthood, it failed in that it allowed drunkenness and earthly thinking to act in a way against God's law. And so there's a new law put in place here, a new introduction under the Nazarite. Spiritual priests not allowed to drink any alcohol whatsoever. Why? Again, why? What does alcohol do? Now, this isn't an exhortation on not drinking alcohol. We know there's scriptural uh, verses that allow us to have alcohol, but it's the point of how much they drank and the fact that you know alcohol causes those those fleshly impulses to come forth. And we see an example of that in Nadab and Abihu. They worked out of a clouded mind and that judgment cost them their lives. And so the whole process is separating ourselves from, from the flesh. And that's what the whole introduction of the Nazarite law is for. Is, to, is to, for us to move away from our nature of flesh and to move to a spiritual plane. And so this is what we see with Nadab and Abihu, and how this was incorporated in the Nazarite law. Now, there's a third law found in number 6, verses 6 to 9. Third law for the Nazarite, actually connected to the one we just considered. We'll just read that, verses 6 to 9 of, of number 6. All the days that he separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother, for his sister, when they die. Because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. And if any man die very suddenly beside him, and he hath defiled the head of his consecration, there's that head again, then he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day shall he shave it. And so... Obviously, this is very severe. When we think about this, if this was our command in our own lives, if somebody in our family died and we couldn't mourn for them, you know, that's the natural thinking when we come to this. But we want to look just beyond that to see why this was included. You know, why was there this severity not to mourn for anybody even close to you? It was in the sin of Nadab and Abihu, Aaron and his, his sons, his other sons, were told not to mourn. Because they died as a result of God's judgment due to their sin. There was a connection to that sin. And God said, now we're going to make a separation between holy and unholy. Between separate and not separate. So I'll just read to you Leviticus chapter 10, where this comes from, at verses 6 and 7. It says, Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar, his sons, uncover not your heads. Neither rent your clothes, lest ye die, and lest wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, be well the burning which the Lord hath kindled. 
So it wasn't the fact that nobody was allowed to mourn for that loss. It was just particular people were excluded. The high priesthood at the time of Leviticus were excluded because of the sin of Nadab and Abihu. And so that was carried forward into this law of the Nazarite as well to show that principle of separation, of being holy to God. And so Aaron was told here to essentially to rise above his, his earthly emotions, his earthly natural human feelings as he was a representative of the high priesthood. And he wasn't to mourn for anyone that, that came across or was the recipient of, of God's judgments. So we see that there's a huge connection between the Nazarite and the priesthood. But there's some extreme differences here that we just like to bring out. What is the difference between the priesthood and the Nazarites? Let's just look at verse 2 of Numbers chapter 6. We'll see a huge difference here. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord. So the first thing we see here is that there's no distinction of tribe as there was under the high priesthood. Under the high priesthood, only a Levite was allowed to be a priest. And furthermore, only the sons of Aaron could be high priest. But here, we have no distinction. The second point is that a Nazarite could be, as we're told here in verse 2, male or female. Different than the high priesthood. So, that's good for us. That means everybody can be included with this this act. And what act is it? What's the third point that's brought out here? It's the fact that it was voluntary. That's the huge difference between under the, the high priesthood and under the Nazarite law. You won't find anywhere in number six the word commanded. Now, under the high priesthood, when they were told what to do, you'll see a lot of commanded. God commanded them to work a certain way. But here it's totally voluntary. This is something that you and I have the choice to do. We can either do it or we don't do it. It's our choice. God does not force it upon us. And so God is extremely pleased when that choice is made to fulfill the law of the Nazarite. Let's just have a quick look at some individuals who were Nazarites throughout Scripture, just in a little bit more depth, just to see how many in Scripture used this principle and carried it forward. Genesis 49, verse 26, speaking of Joseph, we may not have thought of this before, but in Genesis 49, at verse 26, we're told, when Jacob blessed him, it says, the blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors. Unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, they shall be on the head of Joseph. The blessings are on the head of Joseph. And on the crown of his head, of him that was separate from his brethren. There's the law of the Nazarite. Joseph, being a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, was elevated or separated from the body, from his brethren, for the purpose of redeeming them. He elevated his, his thinking off the earthly plane, even though he went through all that tragedy in his life. He was pulled apart for a purpose. And we see what that purpose worked out, that God had a plan for the rest of the body because of the work of Joseph and that they were eventually brought under the salvation of God. How about Samson? Judges 13, verses 4 and 5. We're told about Samson, 
I pray thee, drink not strong wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing, speaking to his mother. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. There's the purpose, to deliver them out of the hands of flesh. The elevation of that of Samson, his whole life, was that whole example of bringing Israel out of the hand of flesh and elevating them. And we know how strong Samson was and what his life was about and how he was able to kill what he did and, and kill the thousand Philistines with the, with the jawbone of an ass. He broke the ropes and the cords when Delilah tried to deliver him when he had that strength, when God was with him. But he made a, a, a tragic mistake with the head. He let down that guard. Judges 16, verse 17 tells us about that. When Delilah finally gets her way, it says that he told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. It's the same with us. If we let our spiritual mindset go, we are like any other man. We become like the beasts that perish. So, of course, we know what happens. Delilah couldn't wait to tell that to the Philistines as they came in and, and cut off that, that hair, that separation, that dedication. And it wasn't until that strength came back on the head that he was able to go and wipe out sin again, wipe out that symbol of sin in the Philistines. And so we see right at the end there, when he turns back to that spiritual thinking and that hair grows again, in Judges 16, verse 30, the Philistines brought Samson out to mock him as he puts his hand on those pillars. And Samson says, listen to how he ends it. He says, let me die with the Philistines. He's going to slay that sin in, in a final way. He bows himself with all his might and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. And that should jump out as, to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that at his death it opened up a way for so many to have salvation. And it was that regenerated strength that Samson had. You know, after he went through the battle of life, just like we do as we meet here every week and we've gone through all our trials and we gather here and we feel saturated. We just had enough of this world. And that's what this whole chapter is about. It's not so much about the emphasis of separation. It's the fact that when we're trying to do that and we fall down, there's a way that we can get back up again and get back on track. The Apostle Paul, in the New Testament, another great example of a Nazarite. In Romans 1 and 1, it says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. He was separated, but he had a problem. He, had, he wanted to elevate that head above the body because he realized the flesh was so strong. In, in the Romans 7 limerick, as I call it, For I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. And he goes on, I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. 
bringing me to captivity, to the law of sin, which is in my members. So then, with the mind, with the head, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. That's nothing we can do about. There's absolutely nothing we can do about that in this life. It's not until that body is destroyed that we can have an opportunity to release that. But we can lift that head, and God says if we just continue on in that process of a Nazarite, when we do fall, which we will do, that we can get back up, and we can get back on, through a voluntary method, we can get back on track. John the Baptist, Matthew 11, verse 11, Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of woman, there has not risen a greater than John the prophet. And we can see the prophecy that was given about John in Luke chapter 1, just starting at verse 13. It says, The angel says unto his, his father, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear a son. Thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejo rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. There's that law of the Nazarite again being brought forward. And he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Right from day one. Separated to God. And again, that prohibition on the alcohol, pointing forward to that law of the Nazarite. It's interesting, when we, we don't have time to, to bring this out, but just some allusions to, to John, for instance. You'll remember the story about when Herodotus' daughter danced with Herod at the birthday celebration. He promised her whatever she wanted. And what is it that she wanted? She wanted the head. Bring me the head on a platter. She hated that head and what it stood for. And the world hates us and our head when we try to separate ourselves in this life. I want that head. I want it cut off. And so, what a fitting way for John the Baptist to actually die. We, sometimes we think about that as he was beheaded. It's an awful thing to think about. But all his life, he spiritually separated his head from the body. And that's the way he died. In a physical sense, his head was separated from the body to show us what his life entailed. How about the Lord Jesus Christ, who was the greatest of all Nazarites, who always lifted his thinking above earthly thinking, who never failed in that way. He separated his head from the body of believers in order to redeem them, just like after the type of Joseph and all the Nazarites. But how did Christ die? He was placarded for us all to see as he hung that flesh upon the cross to show us the way that we must go, the way we must do, what we must do in our lives, to sacrifice that flesh, that body, and to elevate our heads. And what's interesting is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was not beheaded like John the Baptist. But if we look at John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7, there's some interesting details that were told after his resurrection. We see something very telling in the cave. It says, Peter entered the cave where Christ had been laid, and he saw grave clothes, but no body. Look at verses 6 and 7 of John 20. Then cometh Simon, Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and see, saw the linen clothes lie 
And the napkin, which was about his head, was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. It was separated from the body. Just like the, like John the Baptist came to his, his final end with that head separated from the body. We have that Nazarite law coming forth in the death of Christ as well. Christ's head was always separated from the rest of the grave clothes. And that's that marking of the Nazarite. So, how about the Lord Jesus Christ? He didn't escape the... He didn't stay away from the drinking of the wine under the Nazarite law, but he was never taken by it. He never allowed earthly, fleshly desires to allow his mind to be risen about that. He may have had a sip of wine, as we read in the record. And in John 19, verse 30, we're told, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the spirit. It's like once he completed that journey of Nazareteship, he drinks the wine, almost as if to say, it's finished. It's been accomplished. It's done. And so what does this all mean for us, brothers and sisters? It's obvious. As we, as we go through this chapter in Numbers chapter 6, we see this process that the Nazarite was instructed to go through. That he would fall in his, in his way. That when that happened, he had an opportunity to get back up. If we just look at the principle in verses 9 to 11, just to bring our thoughts to a close in Numbers 6, and we see this process, where if the Nazarite had failed in, in their commitment, as we all do, the opportunity for a Nazarite in this voluntary way was able to start again. It says in verses 9 to 11, If any man die very suddenly by him, and he hath defiled the head of his consecration, and he shall shave his head in the day of his cleansing, on the seventh day he shall shave it. And so that's that complete number, seven. And he's gone through this life, and he fails. And on the eighth day, after he fails, he shaves his head, and on the eighth day he brings these two turtles two turtle doves, and the young pigeons to the priest, to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And atonement is made. And he starts again. And the hair begins to grow again. Now, brothers and sisters, I think in my case, I would be perpetually shaven. I don't think I'd be able to get to the point of growing the hair back again. Because under the Nazarite law, every time a sin happened, he shaved his head and started again. And it just seems like we're always doing that in our lives. But that's the point. It's when we give up and we allow sin to rule over our thinking that we're in trouble. But if we can continue to bring our thoughts back to Scripture, to continue to fill ourselves with the Word of God, then there's, a, there's another power that works. There's something else that will eradicate the filling of the flesh from our minds. It will take precedence in all our decisions. It will cause a conscience that will allow us to make better decisions based on the knowledge of knowing what will happen in those circumstances. And so he brought his offering to the priest for a sin offering and a burn offering. And this is symbolizing forgiveness of sins first in that order, the sin offering, followed by the dedication which we see in the burn offering. Forgiveness, then the dedication. 
And so he could start over. He can dedicate him or herself again. And then we read in verse 13 about that Nazarite law is now being fulfilled. It's coming to its fruition, its conclusion, to show if we fail, yet continue to start over and stay in that process that we would eventually reach the end of that separation. And that's the ultimate goal, brothers and sisters, in chapter 6. It's to be in a position that we are covered by the Lord Jesus Christ, always striving for His example and His mark. And the ultimate blessing that will come upon us is the same blessing that Moses put forward to the children of Israel at the end of that chapter, in number 6, where he says, in verse 23, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. Well, how are we going to be blessed? The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. And if we just finish our words in Acts chapter 3. Just a final connection to that of what we just read there. We will see the ultimate blessing that we are all looking forward to. It's found in Acts chapter 3 at verse 27. Unto you, first God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. Please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review in Apple Podcasts, whichever service you use to help people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this talk, share it on social media so other people can hear it too. For show notes and links to the talk you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm gct. We encourage everyone to share their thoughts on the talk from this week with everyone on Facebook or Instagram, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks or on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast. If you know a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.